some dangerous large uh, carnivore out there. Yeah, I saw that bird pick a young deer off the road and fly away. And uh, it was just about getting dark, and we started panicking, running down the bridge, not really having any clue of storing rocks in our vicinity, good-sized rocks. And uh, I stopped long enough to get a 357 out of my backpack and look back, and that's when I thought I saw one. Radio program and uh, the founder of Sasquatch Coffee Company. Uh, Sasquatch Coffee, you can find us at www.squatchcoffee.com and we have some uh, cool new black uh, feeling squatchy t shirts, so check them out. Um, with me, as always, today is my good friend and fellow Bigfoot researcher, Shane Hardcore Corson. Shane, how are you? Doing well, Gunner. Glad to be here on Monstrix Radio. You uh, do any swatching this weekend or get out in the woods? Heck yeah. I didn't do a whole lot of uh, um, field work, per se. I took you know, I took the family out and we did some hiking around the Tillamook area um, on a popular trail out there. Uh, one of our research partners, Larry Turner, was out in that, out in that area. We never met up, but uh, <clears throat> it was uh, pretty brisk and cold, but man, what a... It, you know, we didn't have any rain or anything, so it was just a beautiful hike out there, enjoying enjoying the uh, wilderness and, uh, you know, hiking up to some elevation. You know, I got a four-year-old, and <clears throat> she made it almost two miles, uh, you know, pretty much, pretty much straight uphill and was loving it and was like, kept wanting to go, kept wanting to go up the hill, and it's like, oh, we got to turn around, baby. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I got a little <laughs> hiking partner now that uh, loves the outdoors and loves hiking, so it's just, it was a, it was a good weekend, uh, you know, even though there was no... Bigfooting involved. Well, I think any time that a Bigfooter is out in in the woods, there's some kind of Bigfooting going on because you always got your eyes open. So. <laughs> there, yeah, it's always in the back of your head, you know, um, especially uh, since I was kind of in a new area, <clears throat> you know, a little bit away from where we researched, but, you know, always in the back of your head. But, you know, uh, you got you to gotta take time just to enjoy what's around you. And, uh, you know, I had my daughter with me and, and my wife, and uh, so I was enjoying them, having them there with me and just enjoying the great outdoors on a wonderful uh, but cold weekend with, uh, 
you know, there was still some snow on the ground and stuff, but uh, nothing, uh, nothing that Oregonians aren't used to. No, we had a uh, beautiful weather day today, so <clears throat> I'm pretty excited about today's show. Um, today we've got Derek Randalls, the one of the co-founders of the Olympic Project, and uh, Derek didn't make it to the Sasquatch Summit, but David Ellis, in his stead, uh, shared some exciting information uh, regarding uh, something that was brought to the the attention of the Olympic Project, and it's an ongoing um, investigation. So, um, you have a little bit of uh, inside information about that. Do you, do you want to share anything, Shane? Or you? Um, you know, I'll let I'll let Derek talk about. You know, Derek's much. You know, he's uh, much more in the know. I, you know, I we've all been. You know, Olympic Project members have all been uh, caught up to date with with what's going on out there, and Derek may even have some new news tonight. I'm not sure, uh, but, uh, you know, I'll let Derek uh, speak to that. But I will say that, you know, Tom Baker of the Olympic Project and David Ellis, um, and as well as Cindy Dosen of the Olympic Project, spoke at the Sasquatch Summit and gave fantastic uh, presentations. Um, David Ellis, uh, during his presentation, um, did put up on the screen a letter uh, from Derek Randall, just kind of letting people know some of the things we're working on, and one of them is, you know, this this uh, bedding area that was discovered, and, um, and nobody's screaming at Sasquatch, but uh, it it is definitely giving the circumstances, and with some of the people involved, it was it's very very interesting, and uh, nothing um, really seen before. Uh, well, uh, some of these guys have seen before. I believe Derek's seen something similar before. I've never personally been out in the woods and seen anything like this uh you know i've seen some bear uh bedding they do bed but this is quite different for a number of reasons so yeah i'll let i'll let Derek talk about that uh i know um it's not been, it's been kind of put out there a little bit with the general public but it's not really Derek. i don't think he's really gone out there and really shared it with uh um you know the general public so uh, as a whole so excited to talk about it well, without further ado, let's go ahead and uh, bring Derek on. Here we go. Good evening, Derek. Good evening, guys. How you doing? We're doing good. Doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing great. So, so Nevaeh, she hiked two miles, Shane. That's pretty amazing. I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Nevaeh, awesome. she... Uh, you know, she she was all bundled up because it was pretty cold, but she just was just in beast mode going up the hill. Uh, <laughs> you know, Summer and my wife and I were just watching her, and she, you know, like, well, maybe we'll get a, you know, maybe three-quarters of a mile. Because it starts out flat, but then it goes straight uphill. I mean, just straight uphill. And it's narrow, it's rocky, there's stumps, there's, you know, uh, roots. And she's just going, going, going. And we got to an area where I thought, well, this is probably a good area to turn around because it's pretty steep on the way back. And, uh, you know, I'm probably going to have to carry you part of the way. Nope, she wanted to keep going. She just was just, no, let's keep going. <laughs> so, Dude, we're going to have to uh, get her a little Beast Mode sweatshirt or something. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, I was uh, I was floored. I just, you know, I, I, we, we go on little hikes, but this was a little bit different given the weather and the area and the terrain. So now I know uh, um, I got to, I'm really stoked to have this little hiking partner down the road. And when she can get, do even more, she'll probably be uh, passing me up. <laughs> Well, you guys got to tell her Uncle Derek's very proud of her. That's pretty cool. (laughs) Will do. Uh, (laughs) uh, 
think she'd love to go mountain hiking with you. <laughs> Good. Well, hopefully we're doing that real soon here. And I gotta apologize. I'm just getting over a cold, and my voice isn't quite back yet. So, and the other thing, I'll apologize in advance in case it happens. But my my uh, home phone, if the battery goes dead, I will be calling you back on my backup phone. So, if it, <laughs> okay. if, I, if if you lose me, I'll call you right back. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. No worries. Okay. So, Derek. For for those that don't aren't familiar with the Olympic Project or with yourself, can you give us a little bit of background to uh, how you got into to where you are now? You know, with the Olympic Project and what got you into squatching. Well, what got me into bigfooting was a fighting and experience that I had back in 1985 in the Olympic Mountain Range. Myself and two other people. I'm not gonna. I'll go. I'll go back through the whole story. I think everybody's probably sick of hearing it, but. Uh, we had some rocks thrown at us and were escorted down off the hill, and I turned back to get a glimpse of, you know, the only thing I could call it was Sasquatch, and I've been in research ever since. So I worked with uh, several different groups, uh, including Jeff Meldrum and the North American Ape Project in the late 90s, and then I started uh, doing some work with the BFRO around 2000, around the time of the Skookum Expedition, and uh, worked loosely with them on and off from a, in a tracker's uh position and I'd, I'd go out and ended up being a curator and I helped them uh, get some sites ready for expeditions and things of that nature and then about seven and a half years ago I'm guessing uh, Richard Germo and myself uh, came up with the idea of hanging uh, you know taking a, any given area you know some areas that we had in mind and doing some camera track trap work on them it was actually Rich's idea and uh, we thought it was a great idea, so we kind of pitched it to Wally Hurston. This is when I was still in the BFRO, and uh, Wally was all over the idea and told us that he, whatever uh, equipment that we wanted to use in that effort, that he would uh, be happy to furnish, and so he did. And so that's how the Olympic project was started, and I'm, it was almost eight years ago. And so we started that, and it started out just being pretty much just a camera trap project, and then... A few years ago, probably three, four years ago, we decided to change gears a little bit and put some emphasis off the camera work and start working on, you know, behavioral studies, uh, habitat studies, probable food source studies, and getting into some more thermal imagery and and just, you know, more, more, we tried to embody more research other than just the camera work. And at that point, started recruiting, handpicking people for the Olympic project that we thought could help with this effort. And everybody from, you know, John Bendernagel to John Mayanchinsky to David Ellis, both of you people, Gunnar Monson, Shane Corson, uh, a, a, a long list of people. And today we have, I don't know, in my opinion, the best group of researchers going and uh, very fortunate to be a part of it. And it's, it's kind of nice because back in the day I was kind of, you know, spearheading it myself and Rich and, then David came aboard and uh, has been helping run it, and now it's just it's taken on a life of its own, and and I'm just a part of it. I, I don't really consider myself running it anymore. I'm just a part of the Olympic project, but I'm very fortunate to work with just a fantastic group of people, and I will tell you I'm really excited about this year. Uh, some of my New Year's resolutions, uh, a lot of them have a lot to do with Bigfoot, and uh, we're going to hit it super hard this year. I'm real excited about the research that's going on right now, the stuff that we're involved with. And uh, I think 2016 is going to be a year we're going to hit it super, super hard. So uh, I, I like the, the fact that a little piece of your encounter is on the 
the start of every Moss Direct show, it talks about you turn around with your <laughs> with your revolver. So we already get a little bit of a review. It's kind of cool. But uh, what what uh, is what? So I guess we'll get into the meat right now. I mean, the, one of the most exciting things that that I uh, for me at the Sasquatch Summit was was uh, David Ellis um, presented some of the work that the Olympic project um is doing right now and and there's a, a area uh, of extreme interest that that uh, um, if if you don't mind sharing a little bit about that that'd be awesome no not at all uh, i I've, I've got to be vague about uh locations and things like that because the area mm-hmm. is under our study right now uh but I will say in Mason County near the Olympics, there is a site that we're working right now. And uh, I'll just kind of go to where how it started in May of last year. While we were actually on an expedition up at the property, I got a phone call from a friend of mine. And this friend is in a family that owns a very, very substantial amount of timberland. And uh, this guy's job is to cruise timber and get it ready for proposed logging cuts and whatnot. He's been doing it for many years, over 20 years. That's been his main job. And while he was out doing exactly that, ribboning off a, a timbered area that hadn't been logged in close to 50 years, he come across some ground nests uh, to the likes that he'd never seen before. Nothing, nothing he'd ever seen before like this. And this is a very, very experienced woodsman. Uh, spends the majority of his adult life in the woods. Uh, but these nests that he come across were, were again something that he'd never seen anything like it before. And I, I would describe them, and I'll get into it, but I would describe them as if you, if you were to take like a giant a giant bird's nest, you know, anywhere from three feet across up to eight feet long and everything in between, and, and transfer that down to the ground, that's kind of what you're looking at. And uh, so he found multiples of them. He actually found five of them, and it put him back. He actually got spooked in the area and got out of there. And he also noticed that there was just, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of damage to a lot of the trees and stuff in the area, and then the, in the huckleberry, there was, it's just inundated with huckleberry. And so he didn't stay long. He didn't look too long. He actually got a little little tweaked out over the whole deal. So I had done a landscape job for this man about 12, 13 years ago, and he had, I think he'd seen me on a documentary as well. He knew uh, that I was in the Bigfoot research, so he reached out to me and just happened to be while we were on that expedition in May. You guys were there. And so I was excited, of course. So we came back from the expedition, and about a week later, myself and James Million, another Olympic Project member, met with him, and we met with a couple other people, woodsmen, uh, people that work in the woods, and that's all I can say. And we went out to the area, and I was blown away by what I saw. It's a very remote area, very thick, very tough to get into. And... uh I was just really put back by what I was looking at. Uh, just big, thick ground nests. And so as we're looking at them, we noticed that every piece of the ground nest, the ground nests were about a foot thick, and I would say on average five to six feet across, and about a foot thick, depressed in the middle, like a large animal was laying in them. But every piece of all of the five nests that we were looking at was entirely constructed of huckleberry tips. And so we started looking around the area, and if you were to take a ridge line, a timbered ridge line, and draw a line about 90 
feet wide and about 120 feet long, every single huckleberry bush in this area had been broken, and the tips broke off, and all these tips imported to each nest site, and the nests fabricated with the tips. I've never seen anything like it. And I've come across a whole bunch of bare beds in my day, uh, and so was this gentleman I'm referring to as well, the one that uh, told me about it initially. And James, of course, James and I together have many, many, many years in the woods, and I've, I've never seen a bare bed anything like this. Uh, generally, a bear will usually stand beside a tree, rake the bark down, nestle itself down into the bark, something of that nature, or at times a bear will use what he can grab in in, in the immediate vicinity and kind of you know get a little bit of foliage underneath it and just nestle down into the ground like that. But never have I come across anything where tips were broken and then transported you know, over distance, and then nests fabricated, and it was really, it was really, it was really crazy. I couldn't believe it. So we got pretty excited uh, about that, and this gentleman gave gave us permission to study the site for about as long as we need to to try to figure out what was doing it, what is doing it. So do you do you have questions at this point, or would you like me to just keep rolling on here? Uh. Go ahead and keep rolling on, and then uh, we'll, we'll get to some questions. I, you know, uh, I, like I said, uh, Gunner and I kind of we already kind of know uh, the ins and outs, but uh, I got you know some questions uh, that I think are relevant. The audience doesn't aren't aware of, but yeah, keep rolling on, Derek. Okay, so as we're on this, this is the first day. As we're uh, there, are these two forest workers, the gentleman and myself and James Million. We're looking around the area. And actually, we started hearing some movement below us. This this area, the funny thing about it is it's almost set up like a military camp. And you'd have to see it to know what I'm talking about. Shane, I have drawn it for you so you know what I'm talking about. But it's a very strategically located area. There is no quiet way into this area, but there are escape routes out of this area down a very steep ravine. And at the base of this ravine is a salmon stream which is completely chock full of salmon in October and November. The entire area that we're talking about is level. It's on a ridgeline, and it's just total huckleberries. So the huckleberries are in there really thick later in the year as well. So there's two really good food sources right there, high protein and, you know, huckleberry. Uh, You can't, again, you can't sneak into this area. It's just so thick. You're plowing through bushes to get into this area. So there's no quiet way in. Uh, so as we're looking around, you know, it's just kind of unfolding, and and I uh, walked up to the one of the largest nests, which was situated right on the ridge line. Looked down, and there's two volleyball or not volleyball, softball-sized rocks, maybe a little bit smaller than a softball. Two rocks just laying there, like you know, they weren't planted in the ground; they're just laying there. Obviously, had been set there. Looked down at them, and Shane Gunner, you guys have seen the pictures of these, I believe, but. Pick yeah. the rocks mm-hmm. up, and the underside of both of these rocks are scored from being struck together. And that really set me back. I mean, and it looks like, I mean, there was probably six or seven fresh scores where the rocks had been smacked together, and then there appears to be a history on these rocks of being hit together. Um, the, the picture kind of has to explain it. That's about the best way I can describe it. But very obviously, these rocks have been smacked together repeatedly. And so the, the site, you know, every minute it's just getting more interesting. <laughs> so we're looking at these rocks. Now there is, in this area, there's a lot of, there's bear damage as well. There was a lot of feces on the ground all around this area, which 
looks like it looks like ape feces and it looks like bear feces. It's it's really because they're both very similar. As a matter of fact, uh, a lot of the trees, like I said, every every single huckleberry bush in this in this area had been damaged or broken in one way or another. Uh, so as we're looking around, we James actually worked his way down the ridge towards the ravine a little bit, and then started hollering for me. And I ran down the ridge. And we looked up, and about 50 to 60 feet up in this old-growth tree is a gigantic organic platform. It looks like a very, very large bird nest. But I'm not sure it's a bird's nest. Uh, it's, it's huge, for one thing. It's probably 7 by 8 feet square. And it's just it's, it's a platform on the tree that, that, that's all organic, obviously constructed. Uh, so we, we haven't even investigated that aspect yet. It would take climbing spikes to get up there. And there was appeared to be like shimmy marks up the tree and so i do have photographs of all this and uh i'll be presenting a more in-depth photographic uh documentation of this at the next two symposiums coming up there's one in september that ed brown is holding in uh kennewick and then the sasquatch summit again we're going to be revisiting this and hopefully by the time that rolls around we'll have some answers because we are uh intensively camera trapping the area and studying the area right now so we're just trying to figure out exactly what's going on so at, uh, anyways this this big organic structure was is pretty amazing looking could it be a, a a very big bird's nest yes it could be but we don't know we haven't been up there yet but it's big and it's really out of place and it's really strange yeah. so yeah. coming back up uh, everybody in the party there with the exception of james and i were ready to get out of there because we were here in some movement down below us so i was given permission the olympic project was given permission to study this site as long as we need to and uh so that was the first day so we came back in a few weeks later just a couple weeks later i believe uh myself and john pickering and uh david ellis went in with us and james went in and uh, no, actually, that was the second time we went in. We decided to get some hair samples out of uh, a couple of nests. Yeah, John Pickering went. So we're in there and uh, get back to the nest. Nothing had been disturbed. Nothing had been moved. And so we took three of the different nests and uh, very carefully got hair samples out of three of them. We used roll tape and got the hair samples. And but believe it or not, that takes a long time to do, <laughs> you know, to, because you need a, a magnifying glass, you need tweezers, you need to, you need to do it, uh, you need to do it without contaminating anything. So you're gloved up, you're using all the right apparatus and whatnot. But we were able to get hair samples out of three of the nests, and at that time we hung three cameras in the nesting area, and then we hung another one down across, down off the ridge a little bit, down towards the platform, and we left. So the hair samples were sent to Cindy Dosen, another Olympic Project member up in Canada. And she got a hold of me a few days later, very excited. And three of the samples that came out of those nests matched her other purported Sasquatch hair samples. I believe she has two or three other ones. And they did match them. Uh, one of the hair samples, and it was also not, not bear, not, not elk, not deer, not anything like that. Uh, so... Three of the samples did match her other samples that she has categorized as Bigfoot hair. Uh, one of the samples matched another sample from the Wainuchi area, dead on, identical. Uh, so that was very, very exciting. 
So since that time, myself, uh, David Ellis, John Pickering, James, and uh, David's daughter, who is a primate, primate biologist, went back into the area. Again, when we got in there, the nests had not been disturbed or touched. Uh, and I'll just say this right now. I think we were, it's, it's pretty obvious that this is a seasonal spot. Uh, and I, I'm going to back up here one more time, too. So after, after the first initial visit out there, I spent two days on the Internet trying to find any kind of North American ground nest that matched what we were looking at. And there just wasn't anything. I mean, the only thing that I could come up with at first was a sun bear, which isn't even in the United States. And they, they generally make their nests up in trees. And they will pull foliage down and make a nest as they're up in the tree, and they'll nestle down into that foliage that they break off. Uh, other than that, I could not find a match for these nests until the second day of my Internet search, uh, I found African nape, uh, ape nests, great ape nests. And they are a direct match. I mean, a direct match. The only difference is the type of foliage used. So got pretty excited about that, and that's one of the reasons we, we got David's daughter in there, uh, because she knows what she's looking at. Uh, we have, we've got a bear biologist and another biologist involved. Uh, nobody thinks that they are bear nests. Uh, we've got the hair samples. The area is camera trapped. And so that's, that's kind of where we're at right now. I, had, I intend here in the next couple weeks to go in and do a camera check because we think that it's, it's probably this time of year or maybe a month from now or so when the next nests were constructed last year, judging from the age of the foliage in the nest. So hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, we might get some answers. The first camera check we did, we got some deer and we got some bear in the area, but nothing that walked through there paid any attention to the nests whatsoever. They just kind of meandered through. So that's kind of where we're at right now. Uh, we are doing camera work in there. Uh, and that, you know, beyond that, we've just completely kept a human presence out of there to keep the scent, scent out, and, and we're just we're, we're going from there. That's where we're at right now. Yeah, yeah Derek, I, I remember I, the phone call I got from you um, about this discovery and your research on it. And, and so I went and, you know, after you said, you know, the closest thing you could find anywhere was like this gorilla nest. And, you know, oh, i got to check this out. So I got online and I started looking and, uh, you know, I saw, you know, some of these mountain gorillas, what they would do with their nests and the feces around the nest and the pictures you had shared with me. And it was, it was like comp so compelling and interesting <laughs> because it's just, you know, feces, it's it just, it, it looked like a gorilla nest. I mean, it really did. It looked, you saw uh, these piles of feces, you saw the nest, how they're constructed, it was uncanny, you know. Uh, even, you know, we're not screaming Sasquatch here. Uh, we're just saying this is very interesting. But uh, Well, yeah, that's, that's got, the way of the Olympic project. We're not yeah. going to call it Sasquatch until we can prove that it's Sasquatch, period. But uh, exactly. it is very, very compelling. And there, one, one thing I forgot to add to, Shane, is uh, on our return trip in there with John Pickering, we did discover three more nests. So we have discovered or we have found at so far eight nests in proximity of this of this area right there so eight, eight right. that are documented so far yeah and and i mean uh i'm sure you would say that because of the sensitivity of the area that there could be possibly be more nests uh or whatnot not sure yet yeah and you know that's been the hardest thing is to not charge in and make the mistakes you know that we've made in the past by over hiking an area or 
You know what I'm saying? We, we've really yeah. worked super hard to stay out of there. Luckily, this area is miles behind locked gates, and uh, so it's, it's very, very little to no human presence in there whatsoever. And the one thing that we decided in the beginning is to not spread our human scent around in there. And yeah. we've, we've really held true to that uh, and, you know, descented one when going in and, and just taking it really, really, you know, strategic, really militaristically, really right. strategically trying to keep the scent down, trying to keep super quiet on the just a couple times that we have been in there. So uh, on the yeah. next camera check, I'm, you know, just for instance, going to go in, in a rain, in the rain, going to descent, go in in the rain, get the cameras checked and get right out. And then that way your scent's only going to be there for a day or two. I'm uh, just trying to do it right. We're not trying. To, it's really, really hard not to go hike that area because, you know, of course, the first thing you want to do is go hike around and see if there's more nests nest across the ridge or go through the ravine up to the other shoulder side and see if there's more nests there. But we've uh, been pretty disciplined here. We don't want to blow this. Now, and the other thing that I'll add, now, if, if these are Sasquatch nests and if their, their behavior is similar to, say, a mountain gorilla, and these are all big ifs, but if if that's the case, these these mountain gorillas only they'll construct these nests, but they'll only use them for one to two days, and then they'll move on. And it's it's hard to believe all the work put into these nests that you know they would only use them for one to two days, but that's what gorillas do. So we don't know if they're going to come back. We don't know if this is an area that they're going to you know frequent once a year. But when you see this area and you see how similar it is to. I mean, it, it just feels military-ish, the way it's set up, the way that you can't sneak in, the way that there's escape routes out. Yeah, it, it, it's just uncanny. So yeah. we're hoping the, the, that uh, whatever constructed these nests comes back and we can get uh, we can document them with high-definition video. Yeah, because uh, the, the, the point or the nest that was, I guess, at the front, kind of uh -huh. strategically, possibly strategically placed, had that's where the rocks were found. And, uh, like I said, from what I've seen from the pictures and everything else given, it does seem very military-like in that uh, these, these rocks that seem to be clanked or, or you know, had knocked marks on them, you know, uh, scrapes on them, mm -hmm. it's, it, it would echo or, or you know, through the, this area. Um, I mean, they were placed there. That, that, to me, was very interesting. Yeah, that coupled with the fact that, you know, when you, when you find something that you want to, or that you try to link up to Sasquatch activity, you know, you try to say, okay, this could be Bigfoot activity. The interesting thing about this site, far and away, which makes it one of the, probably the most interesting site I've ever been a part of the investigation of in my 30-some-odd years of Bigfoot research, this is, to me, this is the top so far, as far as probability or possibility, because there isn't just nests. I mean, the nests alone are unbelievable. They're just, they're crazy. And then on top of that, you have these rocks that have a history of being banged together. And on top of that, we have three hair samples out of three of the nests that have come back unknown but matching other probable Sasquatch hair. So, you, you, you know, it just starts it's compiling on top of itself. And, uh, again, we're not going to jump out there and say this, these are Bigfoot nests, but uh, I think that there is at least a pretty decent possibility that they are. And uh, we are going to get to the bottom of it, hopefully. Yeah, and one of the other interesting things you kind of touched upon was that this is an area where there was no apparent human activity for a long time, and that was mentioned by the original uh, finder of this area that uh, no one, 
to his best uh, guess and whatnot from being out there in this remote area, that there was no human activity. There was no trash. There was no trails of humans, anything like that. No, no, no. No, there are some Forest Service roads, you know, and, and a couple skid roads that get you to the area, but there's a considerable amount of off-trail hiking just to get down to these areas. And, uh, again, they're behind locked gates, miles behind locked gates, and uh, nobody has these keys. So it's uh, there's just a lot of circumstantial evidence. There's a lot of good evidence here, and I am, I'm very excited about it. It's just, again, it's been really hard not to go in and just explore, you know, because who knows, there could be another five nests across the ridge. There could be a half a mile down the ridge. There could be another ten nests. We don't know. And right. we were afraid to really go find out until we surveil this and do our due diligence. And, and, you know, we're just trying to do it right, and we're trying not to get, you know, put the cart before the horse. We're trying to, to figure out what's going on here. And But it, I'm excited, man. I, I haven't been this excited about anything in research for a long time. Yeah, uh, likewise. Uh, definitely. This is uh, uh, an exciting find, and the possibilities are, are there for something uh, unique, definitely. With uh, with the uh, these these bedding areas, you know the makeup of them. Uh, you know, you mentioned how thick they were. Uh, you know, some of the questions uh, that will be asked. You know, was there were the were some of these nesting areas were they still green in, in the nesting areas from being you know from the huckleberries being snapped off? And what, in your opinion, having viewed them in person, was it built up over time or was this a one-time thing? Uh, you know, cause they, they were thick. And, and deep. Yeah, and that's a great question. Uh, the when we first found them, when it was May of last year, it they had appeared, and we're guessing, but they had appeared to have been constructed maybe, I'm going to say a couple months before, because part of the foliage, almost half the foliage in the nest, still had quite a bit of green. And one of the uncanny things about this is these nests, I mean, they were very intelligently built. They're about a foot thick. And they were, I mean, it took time. <laughs> it yeah, took time. Yeah. It was not, you know, this didn't. This wasn't just a place to flop down. These nests took time to build. And they're all like a foot thick. And, you know, doing the, the ape research, you know, they, the apes generally build these in the wintertime or when, it, when, when the weather's cold to insulate them from the ground. And with a good foot, you know, thick of this foliage, it, it's 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 not only insulating it from the ground; it's like a mattress. And uh, David's daughter laid in a few of them. We have pictures of her laying in them, crawling <laughs> up into uh, into one of them, uh, just to see, you know, so we could, you know, get see what it would look like. Some somebody, you know, she's very tall, what it would look like, and they're they're quite comfortable. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just it's it's just it's just weird. Just really weird, but okay. So back to your question, uh, we had we had guessed that when we were there in May, that these were probably made. I'm going to say two to two and a half months prior. And when we went back in the last time, uh, which was fairly recently, the nests were all completely dead. Nothing had been added to them, and all the green foliage was gone. So, you know, they're, they're still really cool looking, but there's no green foliage in them any longer. Nothing has been – we were hoping that, you know, when we get back in there, there's some stuff's going to be added. But right. playing into the, the time of year, if they return to this spot or if they build new nests, it's probably going to be in January, February, March would be our guess. Mm -hmm. 
and and the the strategically placed uh, area that this is in, you know, it overlooks um, a stream that does hold, uh, you know, uh, salmon runs, steelhead runs, whatever. And it makes sense that, you know, to look at this during certain times of year when you get those runs coming in there, if, if say, Sasquatch eat salmon or steelhead, uh, th- this would be an area uh, to really look at during certain times of year. I mean, right. I know there, we talked about this and thought about this. Uh, what are your thoughts about, you know, in, where it's placed in conjunction with the, the this stream? Well, I think it, it's, I'll put it this way. If I was going to go live remotely in the woods, this spot would be, like, number one on a list because the huckleberry in there are really thick. And uh, that's when I'm out hiking, off-trail hiking, that's my favorite food. And on top of that, you, that you can come off this ridge where these nests are, and in about a minute, a minute and a half, you're standing on a salmon stream that's chock full of salmon in October and November and December. Uh, it's full of salmon. So, I mean, you got your protein source right there, you have your water source right there, and you also have all this huckleberry right there. So it's, it's, it's a very intelligent spot. It's a very intelligent spot. Yeah, and one of the other cool, I mean, we're talking about uh, this, this bedding area. There was a, a one particular, um, you know, called a nest, called a bedding, whatever, that was in a in one of the huckleberry bushes, I believe, that uh, was kind of half done. It looked like it was started well, or practice, which you didn't yeah. mention yet, but I, I thought it was really interesting. The best thing in the world to do is to go into the woods with John Pickering. <laughs> yes, I'll put it that way right there. <laughs> as we were searching around looking for these, for the you know looking for other probable nests, and we were very careful not to go too far because we didn't want to, we just didn't want to get human scent spread around too much in there. But uh, John hollered at me. He was over on the other side of these bushes and came over to him, and he found one, and it was like the only thing I could say is like a practice nest, and it was about three feet up in a huckleberry bush. And it was another nest, just like what we're constructing on the ground, but it was being built three foot or so off the ground. So after we got out that night, uh, right back on the computer, and that is actually gorilla activity as well. Yes. When they're teaching their young ones how to do this. And uh, it's just, <laughs> I mean, it takes, there's a lot of arrows pointing. And it's, it's you know, you don't want to get too excited because... Uh, you know our motto with the Olympic project. Yeah. You know, if it's a Bigfoot, it's a Bigfoot, but uh, it's not a Bigfoot until we prove it's a Bigfoot. But right. it, that, you know, finding that practice nest or whatever you want to call it that John found, it was pretty amazing. Yeah, I absolutely agree, Derek. You know, I haven't seen the photos and everything else that's gone on with this. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited. You know, reserved like everybody else, but excited about it because it's nothing like I've ever seen before, uh, and uh, to me, that's that's interesting. Uh, Without a doubt. Well, one uh, thing that, that kind of hit yeah. me in the face, too, is the gentleman that uh, turned us onto this site, one of the owners of that uh, of this, this land, the two people he brought with them make their living in the woods, and they have for, you know, more than a couple decades. So by the time you put the three of them and then myself and James, you're talking about five, five individuals down there that have spent a lot of time in the woods off trail, and none of us had seen anything like this. Yeah. And that says a lot. You know, it's not yeah, that we're absolutely. the foremost wilderness experts in the world or anything, but we have all spent a lot of time in the woods. Yeah. And I've I've come across 
tons of bear beds and, you know, uh, deer beds and elk beds. And I've just never seen anything like this, not like this. Yeah. And Derek, now, you have these this area, and as you described it in the pictures I've seen, everything is snapped off. And uh, Can you describe some of these, the huckleberries that were snapped off that, as to the thickness? Were they twisted or just snapped off? you know, to give the audience a better idea of what what you're describing? Well, there's a couple, you know, uh, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say twisted, but mangled. Mm-hmm. Everything in this area is mangled, broken off, and snapped off. Uh, we could not find any evidence of chew marks, uh, zero evidence of anything being cut. Everything was either snapped, broken, or snapped and pulled. And uh, the crazy thing is, Shane, is that, Every every bush there. I mean, it was like if you were to take an area that's you know two or three the size two or two or three times the size of a home. You know what a, what a home footprint would be maybe three times four times bigger than a home footprint. You take every yeah. single bush in that area and break it, and the breaks are all anywhere from two to seven feet off the ground. Everything in between, and there are some snaps in there where things were just snapped off. One was a madrona that was about inch and a half to two inches thick, just snapped, absolutely snapped. And uh, the huckleberry, it's all just, it's just devastated. I mean, it's just like something spent time in there. What it looks like, you know, you try to imagine in your brain what was going on when this was happening, and you can just see figures standing at all, every bush breaking stuff off, fabricating these beds. I don't know how else it could have been done or how, how else, why it would have, you know, it's just, yeah. it's just yeah. crazy. And, uh, right. you know, you you find, you know, people find what they consider twist-offs or break-offs or snap-offs, but this is this whole area, every bush is, has been affected. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the craziest things about it. I mean, it's just everything in there has been snapped and broken to fabricate these beds. Yeah. You know, I, I know for a lot of people it's hard to fathom an area like this without seeing pictures and all that stuff, but... Can you describe where some of these nests, uh, and you alluded to this earlier, but where some of these nests were, it, you know, because for me personally, it is very military-like. It, it's, 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 you can tell, I mean, at least I can tell, uh, that these nests or bedding, this bedding area, um, that they were almost strategically placed. You know, I mean, there was a, a, like a, a point and, you know, a guard and whatnot, it's it's really odd, you know. I know elk do similar things, uh, but with with this area, given the area that it was found in and everything else, it's it's unique. It really is unique, mm-hmm. uh, but it does have, you know, this strategically placed bedding um, scenario going on. Well, you know, it's kind of like a fat triangle, is what it is, yeah. with the point being as this ridge line runs along, the ridge line comes out to a point and then it comes back, like in triangle fashion. And one of the biggest beds, there's two, the two biggest beds are close to the point. One of the biggest beds is right at the point. That's where the two rocks were found. And then just back to the right, about 15 feet, there was another bed that was about three to four feet wide and about eight feet long. And it was under bushes. It was constructed under bushes. And then as you, if you were to just draw a fat triangle, a regular triangle, and then take two of your apex points and pull them out, that's how these beds are situated in a in a triangle triangular fashion as as this point comes back off the ridge line mm-hmm. and it just it just you know when i you were there when i when I drew it on the board, yeah, and uh, Tom 
who was a, a military fighter pilot, you know, he instantly, instantly. <laughs> saw, <laughs> yeah, instantly. You know, and it, I'm not trying to read more into this than there is, but it's, 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 I don't know, it's just, it's really, really difficult to explain. Yeah, the, even the, even, you know, if you had walked into the woods and found this, this nest or bedding area that was up in the tree, uh, but all by itself, you'd probably think, you know, uh, some sort of bird of prey, something along those lines. Uh, but given its proximity to the other bedding areas, one has to wonder, especially with the size of it and mm-hmm. the area that it's in, uh, you know, what is the purpose of this? I mean, uh, you know, some of the questions come in the chat, you know, it, are, you know, is it, you know, a, a bird's nest? Uh, uh, you know, how big is it? What was it made of? Well, we don't know what it's made of, obviously, because no one's climbed up there for obvious reasons. Say we're taking a slow. If you go up and mess, climb up a tree that looks that's like it's been thing. shimmied up, you're going to leave some scent and stuff there. But it, and that 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 you know, in yeah. turn, is why we don't have all the answers that we're looking for yet. Is because in the past, I've been guilty of it. A lot of researchers have been guilty of it. You get into a site where you think it's a potential Bigfoot area, and you research the crap out of it, <laughs> and you mm-hmm. do too much, and. We just really wanted to do this differently and keep human presence out of there. Like when we are in there, we're only in there for not long. And the, the longest amount of time we spent in there was when uh, John Pickering and myself and James went in to get the hair samples because you can't do that fast. Yeah. And uh, so we were in there. We were probably the equivalent of three to four hours to lift hairs out of three of the nests, three of the eight. And, you know, I didn't want to be in there that long, but we really wanted to get some hair samples, and I'm certainly glad that we did, oh, yeah. uh, you know, because if, if if it would have all come back, you know, as all-known hair, then, you know, we maybe we looked at it a little bit differently. But, I mean, getting the unknown hairs out of three of the different nests, it, it's, you know, you just, what do you do? You just keep going. But we, do, we don't want to overpresence the area. You know, and we were actually, we, we roundtabled with David Ellis, and uh, Nathaniel and Kurt Brandenburg about getting, you know, wh- what we're going to do to get some audio surveillance set up in there. But the problem is you get audio going in there, and then you're going to be in there a lot, checking it, servicing Me- it a lot. Yeah, maintaining it. And we decided it, yeah. against it. You know, we just decided right. against it, and uh, that could be coming up in the future. But we just, if the more we're in there, if we're in there, whatever's in there is not going to be there. It, we're going to push it right out. So we're just being really, really careful. Yeah, I, you know, and that was, you know, kudos to the Atlanta Project uh, group as a whole, and kudos to you, Derek, for putting it up to a kind of a vote sort of scenario where, you know, you were looking for ideas and stuff, and uh, I think predominantly uh, everybody agreed, and and uh, I know I wholeheartedly agree with our decisions there. Uh, you know, some of the ideas that came up was, you know, could you bring a drone in there and, and survey the area? And, you know, even with that... Um, tree nest bedding area, uh, you know, it, you couldn't really get anything in there. Even if you had a drone, it's so it, this area is so picked out almost perfect, perfectly. It's it's scary. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a heavy canopy over this area. I mean, this is in the timber. This is not in an open area whatsoever. And one of the things about this organic platform that's up in the tree, uh, could it be a, a, like a giant eagle's nest or something like that? Yes, it could be. Uh, I don't know the exact dimensions on the average eagle nest uh but this is this is at least seven by eight foot square uh 
not I'm not reading trying again trying to read any more into it than than we know, but it, it was just really strange, <laughs> really strange. And uh, yeah, I mean, one thing but, I will point out though, one of the things that I like about the Olympic project and the way that we do this is, and just so people know too, like I, like I said a few minutes ago, I don't run the Olympic project. You know, I did in the past, but I don't run the Olympic project anymore. We're just a team. And when we make these big decisions as far as how we're going to study an area and what we're going to do and what the protocol is going to be, we do it as a team. We sit down, you know, because there's a lot smarter people in the Olympic project than me. And so it's nice to to get everybody's brain involved and then come up with uh, what we're going to do. And that's exactly what we did when we decided, you know, how we're going to go forward and study this area is put it up to a vote. And, you know, we got everybody in one place pretty much everybody in one place and then we laid it out there and said okay what's the idea let's figure this out and i love that about our team <laughs> yeah same here uh we got a fantastic team and uh, we all mesh together just just right and nobody gets butthurt over anything so I, I really enjoy being a part of the lint project i'm truly blessed to be a part of it and now we have this this discovery wherever it leads us to uh it's just unique and interesting um, I was going to mention too, you know, Derek. Have you? I was going to ask you. Do you have you ever seen anything like this before? I know this is kind of unique, but have you found bedding areas um, before? You know, I know the answer to this, but or, or have talked to others that have found similar things of this well, nature. Well, Cindy Dawson was involved. I don't know if she discovered it or if somebody she was with discovered it. I, I can't remember, but she has a photograph of a bed that is just about identical to what we found. And I believe it was found on Vancouver Island. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But, I believe you're uh, right, She yeah. has a photograph of one that is identical, just about. The only difference is a little bit different foliage. And so there's one that I'm aware of. And in, I believe it was 1997 or 1998, I was on a three-day off-trail hiking expedition with John Mayanchinsky and Jeff Meldrum. Uh, Brian Smith, and uh, I think, who else was there? John Andrews. And we were down in Shoefly Creek in the Blue Mountains. And uh, we come across a a bed that was fairly similar, but it was constructed out of fir boughs uh, that were laid on the ground. So that's the closest that I've ever found to what we're looking at here. But there's no comparison. Right. Um, well, I mean, is there any comparison with how where this bed was found? As uh, you know, I mean, was it found on a you know a ridge? Was there water nearby? Oh, okay, it was it was along Shoefly Creek. Hmm. Actually, it was probably about sixty to seventy yards up off the creek, and we were way off trail. <laughs> We were in the in the blues, and we had hiked the equivalent of an entire day down into the the Shoefly drainage. I, I think it's the Shoefly, and we got down in there, and it was the next day, it was the second day actually that we discovered this bed. And I think John Mayanchinsky found it, and we all looked at it, and we didn't lift hair samples out of it. We were down there actually. This is back when they were. Uh, they were with North American Eight Project when he was putting some emphasis into DNA traps, DNA snares. And uh, so we were kind of focused on that. But we found this bed, and it was, it, it, if you, you'd have to see how far, it was way, way, way in country. 
uh, where people would rarely ever go off trail. So it's uh, you kind of pretty much, in my mind, I could rule out human there. Uh, yeah. And then the bed was intelligently constructed with fir boughs. And, you know, I think I, I think either I or Jeff Meldrum has a picture of it. John Mayanchinsky, I'm sure, has pictures of it. But it was similar, but not not quite the same. But also mm-hmm. intelligently built. The one picture that Cindy Dawson has of one that I think she found is very very similar. As a matter of yeah. fact, I just saw it on Facebook a couple of days ago. Yeah, likewise, I saw it too, and was like, wow. There, you know, I've seen it before, but forgot about it and saw it again. I was like, wow, that's so similar. <laughs> oh, it is. It really, really is. Just a little bit different foliage is all. Yeah. Well, you got to go with with uh, if you're making a bedding area, you got to go with you have around you. You don't drag in something from miles away. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Now, so, so yeah, many people involved say, I'm, I'm pretty this. excited, man. I'm really excited oh, just I'm... to simply get to the try to get to the bottom of this. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's it's it is a mystery, and that's what we're here for. But and so, you know, so I, will, I will involved... add this too because I've been thinking yeah. about it, and it's another thing that we've got to have another roundtable discussion with the Olympic Project how to move forward if we get through spring, and whatever constructed these beds does not come back then we need a, a plan to move forward. And, you know, I think we need to sit down and talk about, okay, do we start investigating the surrounding ridges and and whatnot? But we'll, I guess we'll cover that when we get there. Oh, yeah, because the area is so unexplored, uh, and it's a it's a vast area. Uh, the possibilities are <laughs> amazing uh, mm-hmm. to what could be found there, uh, and that, to me, is exciting. I, you know, I'm glad to be a part of the Lynn Project, <laughs> if not just being a part of the Lynn Project, but this project here, is is just confounding. It's very unique and exciting. So, mm-hmm. badass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sure. Uh, but with the people involved in this project, Derek, uh, or or aware of it, you know, uh, we, you know, you kind of discussed earlier about some of the people involved. Uh, what are you know some of the people that have been brought into this? You know, we talked about David Ellis's daughter, who's a primate. You know, she's a primatologist. She, you know, and and I mean, her her initial impression. Well, it's not a bear. It's, uh, you know, it, it, this looks similar uh, to, uh, say, you know, apes, um, gorillas. Yeah, African gorillas. What are some of the other opinions out there? I mean, has anybody come out and said, oh, no, that's this or that's that? No. Nope. Nobody's really, you know, we're all trying to be skeptical. <laughs> we're all trying to be skeptical. Uh, you know, John Pickering is the voice of reason. Uh, in this in this site right here, but even he is very very confused by <laughs> what we're looking at. Uh, James got a hold of a bear biologist. I don't have the guy's name on the tip of my tongue, uh, but he was showed all these pictures as well. He's, he's a bear biologist in Northern California, and he ruled out bear within like three minutes. He said these mm-hmm. are not bear beds. Uh, the pictures have been sent to uh, John Bendernagel. He's very impressed with the with the, with the spot. It's just. Now we just we we just got to find out what's making these beds. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know we've I mean, just got to we've just got to find out what's making these beds. But the thing that really hit me in the face these these rocks that we found next to the one of the biggest beds were, were just crazy because they have very obviously obviously been struck together multiple times. And you know we all have our theories about how Sasquatch might knock rocks together for you know for whatever reason. You know, we're up here, we're not up here, locating, whatever. Uh, but the rocks have definitely been smacked together. The hair, the unknown hair, is very tough to explain. It's just it's just accumulation of stuff on this one that's, that's got it so interesting. 
any any one of these things together would be interesting, but when you compile all three or four of them, it, it, it's kind of off the hook. Right. You know, I, I would love, you know, we were excited about this area when, when you shared, it, you know, the, the knowledge of it and the um, background and the whole thing. You know, we were all, let's get some audio up there and do all this stuff. And, uh, you know, I think down the road there may be a possibility to play some audio out there. It does take maintenance and human interaction to, to get the audio out there. But uh, I'm really a fan of just taking it one step at a time. Very, uh, we don't know what we're dealing with. We we just don't, you know. Right. Period. You're right. You know, and I'm um, very much the fan of having, you know, taking baby steps with this. And well, when you look at it, Shane, with all Bigfoot research, every every iota, every ounce of it, have we done it right every time? Nope. <laughs> have we right. ever done it right to the point where we have proof? No. We just haven't, and that's nobody has, and that's that's why we are trying to do this. We're trying to be patient, yeah. and uh, if we can go get all the way to May or June, and we don't have any idea, or we don't have any video proof of what's coming in and messing with these beds or making these beds, then we can change a gear, maybe worry about audio, and and maybe do some more exploration of the area to to see what's going on in there. But yeah, the, the hardest part is just to been is just to be patient. Yeah, you know, no, keep and the side under wraps I, and be patient. Yeah, so that's something uh, that lacks in in this field is patience. Uh, period. You know, and and many of us are guilty of that. You know, we excited about something, we we come across something compelling or unique, and we get excited, and we just jump all boots in. And uh, mm-hmm. this is an area where in a find that uh, needs to be, you know, from my for my personal opinion, is that needs to be taken uh, slowly, uh, needs to be really thoroughly vetted, and, you know, there there is no right or wrong answer here because you're dealing with something unknown, and, uh, you know, maybe we're doing things wrong. Who knows? Maybe we're doing things right. I have the feeling well, that... Well, you remember, just like I do, we sat and debated for the better part of an hour on if we were going to even hang cameras. Right. And But at the end of the day, it, we, we have to try something. You know, if these things are as smart and as wood-savvy and as sharp as we believe they are, we're not going to stick somebody out there in a ghillie suit in a tree stand with a with a video recorder for a year. It's not going to happen. The only yeah. way we're going to get answers is to hope, in my opinion, is to, you know, hopefully get lucky with a video camera. I know a lot of people will probably disagree with the camera approach. But in this particular area, you know, if people were to see it and see how there's just no quiet way in, no quiet way out, there's no really other way to study it or to even try right. You know, right. so that's why we opted to go. You know, with doing the, doing the cameras, and and uh, maybe it'll maybe it'll happen. Maybe it'll be maybe it'll be the the best piece of you know video ever, or maybe we'll get nothing. But we you got to try if you're gonna if you're gonna get anywhere. If you're gonna walk up a mountain, you got to start taking steps. Right. Yeah. You, you don't just get dropped there. Uh, yeah. But yeah. And, and but you know this this area. You know, and we'll, we'll, we're going to change gears here in a second. But so you, we have hair um, that that's unknown. We, you know, there's there's these rocks that were at found there that looked like they've been clanked together. There's the uh, bedding area by itself with the broken and um, you know huckleberries and the nesting area um, in in the area that it's in being kind of remote and not uh, traveled by humans. So you got the, all these things adding up. To place, do not place cameras in there. You know, you know, I was part of that uh, little um, uh, talk, 
and did not place cameras in there to add one more piece to the puzzle, it, you know, and it's a long shot. No doubt it's a long shot. But mm-hmm. to not add that there would be a fallacy. It would be, it'd be bad, in my opinion. Uh, if you can get a, a picture of something um, in this area, it could add even more evidence to what was found, and you could see what was what's possibly making these, this, these beds. And so it, it all compiles to a bigger picture, you know, and maybe nothing's going to come through there. Maybe we'll, maybe nothing will be found on the cams. Uh, and like you said, Derek, I know people disagree with cameras and all that, but I think it's a necessity. Uh, yeah, you know, people can possible. disagree all they want. I personally could care less. It's it's part of what we do. Exactly. You know, it, it is part of what we do. And we have documented through the Olympic Project more wild, more natural wildlife photos than you can shake a stick at. Thousands and thousands and thousands throughout the Olympics. And... Uh, you know, at the end of the day, okay, we don't get Sasquatch pictures. We're still getting, we're still documenting an amazing array of animals, and which also lends to the research and lends to the habitat and lends to all kinds of things. So it's it's just part of what we do. You know, it's how the Olympic project was started. And, and honestly, you know, people can think what they want. There is no other feasible way that I can come up with or that any of us could come up with to effectively study and surveil this area. Yeah. No, it's it's a somewhat of a delicate situation, uh, and there's no, like I said, no right or wrong answer. Hopefully, um, we'll get something from the cameras. Maybe not, uh, but I think it's, it was the right uh, step. Period, and uh, you know, it's an ongoing, ongoing um, area of research. And given the people involved, specifically those that went up with you originally, Derek, and those that discovered the area, it is really um it it's just really interesting it's just really interesting and hopefully down the road we can do them justice and maybe get to an answer on this you know uh i know that uh, a lot of areas get cramped on and 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 there's just you know you're really left with nothing and that's why i think it's important to take this slowly and uh eventually like you said maybe we'll go in there and it'll be like an archaeological site where you go in there and just totally decimate the area and get everything you can I mean, there's more hair to be found there. Uh, who knows what else could be found there? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, in, 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 in the, the future, I mean, you know, say, say they don't come back and utilize these beds. There is still a possibility that whatever constructed these beds is going to wander back through there because of the, the, the nature of the site with all the food that's there and, and how military, I hate to keep saying that, but that's what it reminds me of, how strategically located it is. There is still a possibility that whatever constructed these beds will be walking, at least meandering back through there. And if they do, we will get them on video. Uh, the, video the, the cameras are put in such, in such fashion that if one camera is seen or noticed, by the time that happens, another camera will have it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we did put some thought into camera placement in there. We didn't just randomly go stick them on trees. Uh, we, we were careful about the positioning. So if anything does walk back through this, even if it's a past bedding site, we should get you know, high-def video of it. Uh, so, you know, we're just going to just gonna try that, and then if it doesn't work by, say, June, and we've gone a year studying this area and we've come up with nothing, then we can we can change gears. We can deconstruct a couple of the nests, try to, you know, get some more hair samples out of them, because it would be fantastic to get, you know, we have not deconstructed a nest yet. And the only way to get, yeah. you know, the good majority of the hair in any, any of the given nests is to take the, take the nest apart you know, transport one out in bags or whatever and uh, go through it with a fine-tooth comb, which we have not done yet. 
that would be really cool. And then also to further explore the areas because, okay, just say if we're dealing with a Sasquatch and if their behavior is similar to a mountain gorilla, then there's going to be more nests in this area. You know, they're, they're nests that were probably built this, this, this winter, you know, and very, very hopefully we could discover them. So it's not like if we get to June and whatever the culprits are haven't wandered back through, there is more we can do, and we will continue to do it. Yeah, I mean, the cameras placed up there, I'm sure, are top-notch cameras. And uh, I, I know James Million and yourself, you know, you guys are avid hunters and uh, are none some of the best hunters out there. I mean, it's part of your business, and you guys know what you're doing, period. So I have all the faith and trust in what you guys are doing uh, over anybody out there. If they were to have their hands on this area, you guys are going to do it the best, period. No doubt about it. And, but we're uh, going to try awful hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, uh, yeah, that's a that's a given. Uh, audience, that's I got to tell you, the hard part, Shane, is just the hard part for me is is being patient. Yeah, because you, know, <laughs> you just want to <laughs> go in, and I mean, I want to go explore all those ridges. I want to crawl through the bushes. I want to see how many more beds there are. I want to, I want to go spend the night out there. I want to, you know, all this stuff, and you just really got to keep keep your leash on and <laughs> keep yourself back. You know, it's, yeah, it's, that's the hard part. But that, that to me, is, is research and understanding what you're dealing with, or not understanding what you're dealing with, but knowing that it takes patience no matter what endeavor you're involved in. This this mm-hmm. truly takes patience. And so, right. uh, you know, I have that, – that's what i got to say about that. Uh, it just, it's just a patient game. I'm hoping for results. And uh, if those results don't come, you know, maybe we'll go in there and dissect the area. Uh, or even if a, the results do come and it's not what we think it might be, you know, exactly. just to get to the bottom of it. I mean, these nests are so different that I, I'm just dying to know what's doing it, you know, how how it's being done and what's doing it. You know, I, I know what I think it is in my brain, but just just to get the answer, if we're able to answer that question, what built these nests, man, that would be a victory no matter what the answer is. Yeah. One of the, well, one of the, the things cool I appreciate things about, about- yeah. about the Olympic project is that, that you don't see the Olympic project putting out a lot of, of information about, you know, what they're doing and and with conclusions. And this this research area is, falls under the same thing. It, mm-hmm. It's patient. It's And there's a lot of, you know, corroborating evidence that, we we know a lot of things, you know, it's one of those cases of, of a lot of exclusionary evidence. There's a lot of things, you know, it, it it's not bears, it's not elk. Um, so, but, and it's one of the things that, that sets the Olympic project apart from other groups or other researchers is that um, it'd be really easy to, as soon as this is found, put it up on the Internet and let people start, you know, and, and draw a conclusion and, and make definitive statements, and and that is something that sets the Olympic project uh, apart from a lot of other, at least Internet researchers, that, that, that show up, you know, and and, uh, and make statements and, and, and craft it. Just, it, it's refreshing for me, and, I, and it, that, for me, is one of the reasons I, I appreciate uh, being allowed to be part of the Olympic project. Well, I got to tell you, you touched on a really good point there because I get I get messaged a lot from other researchers. You guys must not be doing nothing. Why can we never see your stuff on Facebook? And it's, you know, it's simply because we don't want to fight about it. 
you know, when you when you if you're gonna put something on Facebook, you have to you have to put your you have to lace your gloves up and get your shorts on, get in the ring because it hits the fan. And I don't have time or the will to sit and argue about possible evidence. It's it's useless. It's it's worthless. There's no good that comes out of it. Uh, now I will say that you know a few years back, you know we did put and probably you know mostly in my fall they did put some of our research up on the internet and on Facebook because I was under the impression that you know there's a lot of smart people out there and it, it'd be nice to get their opinion and actually it started I started doing it on the forums the Bigfoot forums and that was somewhat controlled but then fights always start and attitudes happen and so you know just to answer this question why don't we put our stuff up on Facebook we don't put our stuff on Facebook because in my opinion in all of our opinion it's just not the place for it. It's a great place to discuss stuff, to argue about stuff. But uh, you know what I what I tell people is, if we ever get the evidence, the money shot, the evidence, and we can prove, or we we have that stuff, you know, it'll be out there. But it just you guys know as well as I do. You know, you put something up on Facebook. I don't care how good it is or how bad it is. It's going to be fought about, and it's going to be argued over, and it's going to be page after page of crap. And I'm not into it. I just, I have, you know, no, that's another case not where it doesn't learn, serve you learning, well. Uh, yeah, and that's another case of learning from past mistakes, you know. You learn. Right. And and I and I tell people, I said, you know, one thing I know for sure is Bigfoot will not be proven on Facebook. Bingo. It will be argued about, and, and people waste a lot of time uh, talking about, you know, stuff on Facebook, but it's, it is not the place, as you said, Derek. It's not the place uh, that that anything to have have evidence met, and that's the slow process. Um, I I applaud the you and the rest of the Olympic project for not you know taking it slow as as hard as that is to do. Um, I, yeah, and we we do present our evidence, but you know we present our evidence at a symposium when we're gathered around with other like-minded researchers that, you know, are trying to get answers, you know, and or on interviews like this, I have no problem talking about, about this stuff. It, it's mm-hmm. just, this, to me, is the place to talk about it, you know, sitting here with you guys, or or if we're at, you know, the Sasquatch Summit or one of these other things, that's, that's what we're there to do. We're there to share our research. And, you know, therefore you only kind of hear about what the Olympic Project's doing once or twice a year, but you know what, that's okay. We're not out here to, to posture or to pose or to try try to be better than the next group we really don't give a crap you know we're out here to do what we do and you know if we get something great then the world will know and if we don't it's just business as usual we'll keep on doing what we're doing but rest assured we are very busy doing what we're doing and that's not our only research site as you guys well know and uh so it's you know it's just it just doesn't it doesn't belong there i don't think there's facebook is fun in some some ways but as you guys well know it's just one researcher against another. It's almost like organized religion, and it's, it's or, just not the not the place to take the research that you consider serious, and unless you just want to sit and argue for days. Right, and that's not research. That truly no. is not research. Uh, if you're going to argue stuff, I mean, where do you want to spend your time arguing about something, or uh, vetting something, and getting out in the field and actually doing research uh, right. or you know investigations? That that to me is research, not arguing over things, semantics or whatever on Facebook. That's right. pointless. It gets you nowhere. And day it's he said, she said. Right. 
So there's uh, been enough yeah. of that going on lately. <laughs> yeah, no, there's been enough of that going on lately, and it's sad. Um, but true research is probably never shared until it's built. You know, true research is researched, you know, and shared uh, in a fashion that it's been vetted. And okay, this is what our conclusions are, or our ideas are, uh, but without all the banter in between. And, and we're, you know, I know the Lint Project and whatnot, many groups out there and people are about vetting evidence and, and sharing stuff, but at the same time, where do you want to spend your time, you know, it, it's it's just obvious to me. It's not on Facebook. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And, and, you so know, you, you, uh, you've... Oh, go ahead. Uh, so of the, I've got a, I had a couple questions about the the site. Of the of the eight beds that, that are at the site that have been identified, how many of the beds were checked for hair? Three. Okay, so so and of of all the hairs that were collected, did they all come back? Was there any known animal hairs that came out of that? Yes, I'm sure there were. I don't have a, a list with me though. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in a forest environment like that, you're going to have deer hair, and sure. I know she got some deer hair. Uh, one of the one of the now actually okay that was that's not correct. We there were three beds up on top of the ridge that were hair sample or hair that we got hair samples out of, and then James went down and did some work on a lower bed, but the lower bed wasn't constructed of huckleberry tips. It was more like a deer lay, just a you know a spot on the ground where a large animal had been laying, and mm-hmm. we did get some hair samples out of that as well, and that came back obviously as deer. And that was below the ridge, down off the off the ridge shoulder, probably 100 yards away. Uh, so but not, I don't know. If, really I don't have a list of what other animal hairs were in the beds. Uh, I right. just, yeah, we could get that. I so mean, I mean not hard. we just have to ask Cindy. Cindy's got that list. Right. So, but, but that's what you would expect. I mean, it's not. Oh, we we found these beds, and all we found in them were Sasquatch hairs. You found hairs in them of animals, other animals. And then you well, we do have. I mean, our first camera check yeah. we did out there. We do have deer. We did have deer and bear right. cruising through the area. So, so there's two hair sources right there. Right. You know, so along with all the other so animals are, that are out there. Right. So just so people are clear, it's like, oh, these are they found these beds and all the, the hairs. There were there was what you would expect to find in in the environment. And, yes. And you had and there were hairs that were identified that matched some other un. Uh, hairs of unknown species, some that were tied to uh, previous Bigfoot encounters. That they, I mean, there was a sighting. And hair well, if I, if I don't quote this wrong, one of the hairs in particular was mm-hmm. matched up identically with a hair that Cindy had identified mm-hmm. from the yeah. Wainucci area that I think David Ellis had found uh, that was not known. It was an unknown hair. Uh, but it had the attributes or characteristics of being a Sasquatch hair uh, to Cindy, and it matched that hair amazingly perfect, which you know was a pretty big deal. I don't, I'm not, I don't pretend to know a lot about hair. <laughs> Just, <laughs> That's going by what Cindy. If anybody told me. is, yeah, if anybody is not familiar with Cindy Joseph's work, you should look her up on uh, online, and she's she's uh, doesn't do DNA analysis. She actually does hair analysis. Hair identification and, uh, and analysis, yeah. Right, right. So, um, but She's what very she good. does is, is brilliant, yep. And uh, one of the questions in the chat room, Derek, is 
at what elevation is the nest site? Uh, without giving too much away, I'd say you could probably between four and five hundred feet. Hmm. That's that's as, that's as much as you're going to get from me. <laughs> that's 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 good enough. That answers the question. We're obviously trying to keep the area under wraps, you know. Are there other? Um, is there a history in the area of of uh, any anecdotal stories for squatch? Yes. Yes, there is. Oh, yeah. Absolute history in in this region. Yeah, even even Native American, I mean, we're talking about a long history of, of sightings and reports, even with the Native Americans. <clears throat> this area has a thorough history. In fact, this area has, uh, even with the names of some of these areas, uh, a lot of uh, uh which was one of the appealing things to me was, when, ha- having done some research on it, was that the Native Americans had uh, names for some of these areas that were very uh, related to the subject. Right. And, so, and I, I personally yeah. have even had uh, something happen in, in, you know, very close to this area. Yes. Uh, yes. So it is an area that, that doesn't surprise me one little bit. Yeah, exactly. One of the, one of the other questions, Derek, was the scat samples. And, and you know... Uh, you know, scat is a very hard thing to uh, get um, studied upon. You know, uh, I know there was a lot of scat in the area and whatnot, but, you know, what do you say to the audience as far as where there's, you know, obviously scat samples were taken, but what, what came from those? Actually, not a bunch were taken because you can't do much with it other than right. figure out what whatever it was was eating. Right. And uh, there was a mixture of stuff in the poo. I think John looked at it closer he looked at the the poo closer than i do i don't pay me personally i don't pay much attention to scat uh because scat scat i mean and you're not going to get dna off of it especially old scat it's just not going to happen so the most you can learn is just what whatever what it was was eating you know to a degree so yeah, don't, i don't don't have a lot to say about the scat I, I will say that it looked very similar to bear and it also looked very similar almost identical to ape yeah, uh, yeah, you know, very, very similar to both. That's a very hard thing to study or get anything from because you can learn what something's eating, eating, but it, you're limited as to what actually uh, dropped the load. <laughs> sure, <laughs> <to speak>. sure. <laughs> right. And you know, there is. I'm not going to tell you that there wasn't because there was. There was a lot of bear sign in this area as well, but there's a ton of bears in this area. You know, there's a whole lot of bear. There's a big bear population where we're talking about. And, uh, but the, the thing that just in my, in my mind and in a couple biologists' minds already, uh, these are not bear beds. And if these are bear beds, then this is an activity here in North America that's never been documented. Yeah. Straight up. Yeah. Because these, up. these nests, I mean, imagine yourself breaking limbs, carrying them over to an area, and then building a nest, going back breaking more limbs, carrying them over to an area, and continuing to build. And that's just not a bear activity. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, in, in this area, too, you know, it, it with the amount of uh, scat that was there, I, you know, when I saw the pictures and whatnot, I was kind of kind of floored with the amount of scat around some of these nests. Uh, mm-hmm. that seems so, uh, having viewed, you know, what gorillas do, 
uh, building their nest. It was so crazy. Uh, it was almost identical, huh? It's almost identical. Uh, yeah. I've never, you know, I, you know, I'm a guy that's, you know, um, in the woods as, you know, as much as anybody, and never come across anything like this. I mean, I've come across bear scat and elk scat and all that, but but having a, a bedding area w- with all this scat around it, never really seen that before, and this was, you know, to me very unique and compelling and interesting. Uh, given the sizes, you know, even some of some of these nests. You know, some people have come at me and going, uh, you know, haven't talked about this. You know, could this be, you know, like a porcupine? You know, porcupines build nests, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I've yet to see a porcupine out in the woods, personally. Um, and these nests were so, some, you know, they varied in sizes. You know, right. you, you mentioned before, large to small uh but with a scat, you know, porcupine, so you leave that type of scat. Uh, you know, it, it, there's a lot of uh, unopened, you know, and, and whatnot questions here, but it's definitely unique, bar none. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a couple of these nests are they're way too big for porcupines. Right, exactly. You know, way too big. <laughs> way too or big. I don't want to meet the porcupine that, that made it. <laughs> And you know, just for the for the listening audience, if you were to just say you were to go go about your business and you were to break the last five inches off of huckleberries and gather an enormous amount of it and lay it out in a round circular fashion, and then lay in the middle of it, and you know, imagine that you weighed a lot, and when you got up and you looked back down, that's what we're talking about. You know, these they're the nests were constructed and then laid in. And the, the the one of the craziest things to me was the how consistently the foliage was a foot thick or so in these nests. And in one of them, one of these nests looks fairly small, and there's a, a little sapling coming right up out of the middle of it, and it looks kind of small. And then when Kelsey got in it and laid down in it, uh, you guys saw those pictures, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean it's that was one of the smaller nests. And she fit in there beautifully, and I believe she's five eleven. She's almost six feet tall, and I don't know. <laughs> I, I called it the stripper pole. <laughs> the stripper pole. There you go. <laughs> right in the middle of the nest, it just looks like a stripper pole to me, right off the bat. <laughs> That's what it will forever be named now, Shane. Oh, good. I'm glad I had my uh, piece there. <laughs> the stripper <Classic>. pole. <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know some of the some of the questions coming in you know uh Bruce Kelly has mentioned you know with the scat samples um you know could you figure out what was in them you know given the time of year and everything else could you find uh salmon scales or anything in those scats uh well you know that's a question for John yeah <clears throat> you know because uh call me whatever call me uh, stupid or whatever but i I am not. I'm not sure what he found in the scat yet. I'm not sure yeah, exactly what of, he uh, found in the scat. He did take a scat sample, and I'm not sure exactly what was found in it. We were trying to. It looked pretty obvious that the scat might have belonged to whatever made the nest, but we're not sure that it did. Because in this this whole area, there's bear sign also, and uh, it wouldn't even surprise me if the scat was just bear scat. So I don't know. Well, that brings up 
uh, an interesting question though with the bear in the area you know you know <clears throat> with this subject in general you know people often argue back and forth uh, do bear avoid bigfoot do bigfoot avoid bear do they are how do they coexist mm-hmm. you know there's obviously bear in this area obviously other mm-hmm. animals like deer and elk in this area and and whatnot how how does you know the bear fit into to this area i mean it, it, it seems to me that it is a seasonal area, and the bear may be, may frequent the area during certain, certain times of year when, say, Sasquatch possibly is not in the area. But I, I don't know. Maybe they compete over the spot. Right. You know, maybe there's exactly. a competition going on over the spot. I will say this on our first camera check, which was about a three to three and a half month run, I only got one bear on camera in there. And it yep. didn't pay any attention to the nest that walked right through. Got it on two different cameras, but it was the same bear. And But, you know, for an area with a lot of bears, I was kind of kind of shocked for that time span to only get one bear on camera. Yeah. Because we know for a fact that some of the areas that we explore in the Olympics that we have cameras, there's multiple bear. And, oh, yeah. Uh, Look yeah, at our last exactly. camera check up there. Mhm. Yeah, yeah. That, was, that was one of the cool things that was on the on the camera was the shot of the bear. Right, one of the Crescent Ridge cameras, you bet. So one of the questions in the chat room is is uh was were the amount of berry bushes overly abundant as a, compared to other areas? I mean, how much you didn't go and and I mean, you pretty much concentrated on the area of the nesting site. You didn't go and survey the the entire area around there that's I mean but was there from what you know, was that a was there a heavy heavier concentration of huckleberries there than the surrounding areas? Well yes and no. Uh in this particular area you will find vast quantities of huckleberry. And then in some areas, depending on the sunlight, you'll find a carpet of salal or kinikinik. Uh it you can go, you know, over the ridge over any ridge in this area and find a huge field of huckleberry under the canopy. So it's not uncommon. Uh, there's a there's a ton of huckleberry out there. It's the blue huckleberry, not the red, the blue. And uh, so, no, it's not, if that's what, what they're asking, it's, it's not uh, special to this particular spot. What is unique about this spot is its positioning right. and the fact that there is... And, 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 you know, to go even further down that hole, the positioning, this is a spot where you cannot get an upper vantage. And I think that's important, or it could be important. This is a spot, like like we were talking about, this area being almost impossible to surveil. One of the things that, you know, and it was probably my second trip in there before I realized that this could be a factor, but when you're walking through, you know, the topography in these areas is up and down, up and down, up and down. And a lot of areas, if you're in that area, even if it's thick, you can get on a higher vantage point and look down into it. Well, that's not the case here. And that's one of the unique things about it. You cannot see into it from distance at all. And uh, partially because of the topography and partially because of the thickness of the foliage, and which to me also lends to what a great spot to stay hidden. Uh, 
but no, to, to answer the, the person on the, in the chat room's question, the huckleberry is not unique to this spot. There are fields of it everywhere under the canopy there. But, but very conveniently located with, with uh, the, the stream down below that has seasonal salmon runs and, I mean. Right. And I, I got to tell so. you, coming off the end of this ridge where the nests are located, mm -hmm. if something was heard approaching, and just, just say, theoretically, if there was four or five subjects sitting there or three subjects sitting there, if something was approaching, they could bail off of there in a freaking heartbeat within seconds and be gone and unseen because they right off the end of this ridge, right straight down into a very heavily timbered, heavily brushed river ravine. And so you, when you look at all that, I mean, the, the, the spot is well thought out. What a, what a safe place to exist for whatever amount of time because you just can't sneak in. Jared, did it look, it didn't, did it look at all like the, the beds had ever been added to? Was there layers on, you know, was there uh, a layer that looked underneath that looked older that might have been there previously? Or these, this looks like they were found um, fairly soon after they were originally built. Well, that's a great question, Gunnar. The, and we were really trying to figure that out, but what we didn't want to do was deconstruct any of them. Mm -hmm. And... It, it almost looks to me, if I was going to guess, I would guess that they were built and then that was that. I wouldn't say that there was any evidence in my brain that they had been added to. Uh, but we don't know because we didn't. I think if we would have taken and deconstructed one or two of them initially, we probably could have learned that. But we didn't want to. <laughs> we didn't want to spread our scent around or really screw with the site at all. I mean, it was it was it was precarious trying to get hair samples out of there without really disturbing the beds, and very time consuming. Uh, but no, I would say, in my opinion, and this this opinion might vary from James's or John's or David's, uh, they they don't look like they were added to. It looked like they were constructed at one point in time, and then that was that. And that was fairly. Um, now, when did you first um, visit the site? In May what of last time year. Of year? Okay, yeah. and, you, and and the 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 feeling was from your experience is that uh, you're they were probably built around March, sometime in March. Well, the, in the beginning, we were thinking January, February ish. Uh, now, you know, and I don't know. I just don't know because they were they were sixty percent still green. 60 to 70% still green, and this was in, like, the middle of May. So I would say, best guess, two to two and a half months prior. You know, March, One of the things, you know, later February, March. One of the things I appreciate about the way that you report things is, is if you don't know, you say you don't know. Yeah, you know, and I say that a lot. There's a hell of a lot I don't know. <laughs> well, that's but 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 that is for the that actually that applies to all of Bigfooting. Is we don't know 99.9 percent .9 of you know, and when people say things, make definitive statements about stuff, and and draw a conclusion, um, a lot of times they have not you know, it's like filling out the the dot to dot, you know, connect the dots. Uh, they have 
a leap and and, and supposition instead of, you know, there's nothing to yeah. support. And that's the importance of what the way that this is being approached is it's very interesting. There's a lot of corroborating uh, evidence that that leads toward where it would be very easy to say, you know, what you think it is as fact, and 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 the Olympic project just is great about not doing that. Right. Yeah, I mean, we're we're pretty much to to call these Bigfoot beds. We're going to have to get a Sasquatch on camera pretty much, <laughs> really well. And right. I mean, you know, and that that's just all there is to it. And unfortunately, I think you know one of the things that gets my goat in Bigfoot research is people speaking definitively about anything Bigfoot because there is absolutely nothing definitive to say. And I, I know a lot of people don't like it when I say that but, because everybody thinks they know what they know. But the fact of the matter is, at least in my brain, there isn't anything definitive yet. We're not there. We're we're just not there, and hopefully we get there. And I'm really hoping that we can definitively speak about what's making these beds by the time this is yeah, said and done. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> very, I mean, it, <laughs> But, but you know, the cool I, thing is, is that this is this is under investigation, and um, there are there are camera. In fact, basically a camera trap. It sounds like that they're you know they might even uh, even if people tell me that that they think Bigfoot can smell uh, cameras, which maybe they can smell something. Uh, I, I don't know that they can smell and count cameras with their nose. So. No, and and with these cameras, these cameras have been in country for a long time now. You know, these cameras have been out there since June, and mm-hmm. actually the latter part of May. And uh, they are into their environment right now. And, you know, and if they if they smell them, they smell them. If they don't smell them, they don't smell them. I I don't pay a lot of attention to people talking about Sasquatch identifying cameras because it it really doesn't matter. I mean, they either do or they don't. Work. It's when you have when you have a situation like this. This is a unique spot. There just isn't another good way to surveil this. This is, this is it. You know, right. you can't, yeah. you can't hire somebody to sit in a tree stand unscented and not move for a year. It's not going to happen. I think and, Shane and would it. do that. But. <laughs> <laughs> he probably would. <laughs> we just don't have the funds to pay him right now to do it. But. Yeah. <laughs> But that, that's one of the one of the crazy, most unique things about this spot. You know, when you really think about it, you can't see into it from an upper vantage at all. Uh, you can't fly a drone around in there; it's too thick. You can't sneak into it quietly unless you do it in the middle of a rainstorm and you belly crawl in under all these bushes. Uh, there's just no no good way to get in there. And so, what does that tell you? That tells you that this spot was well thought out. Speak you know, to by whatever did it. The spot was well yeah. thought out. These beds were made by something that knew this was a safe spot to sleep. You know, think about that for a second. You know, whatever made these beds knew this was a very safe spot to do it, whatever it was. And, right. you know, there's just, it's, when you start wrapping your mind around it and you really start thinking about the intricacies of the location, uh, the, the food availability, Everything that's going on there, it's it's really, it just keeps tugging you, keeps tugging you right down the road. And one of the things that is so compelling, I mean, of, of all the things that that are found there, the beds are are cool. And but two rocks to me is like, um, that is that is off the hook. 
Yeah, it really is. That 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 hit me sideways, man. Pick those rocks up, and I'm like, James, get over here. And we instantly started taking pictures of them, and then we we resituated them right back where we found them, and they're still sitting there, you know. Uh, yeah, pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. So it's my hope, you know, next time or the third time, second time from now that we go back in there, that if we can just hike in there and see that the beds have been added to or new beds or something like that, man, I tell you what, I'm going to be doing a happy dance because yeah, we should have whatever kidding. it is on camera. And along with the, that that area being camera trapped out, we also have gone over the ridge a little ways onto a couple uh, pretty heavily used game trails, and we've got a couple cameras down in that area as well. So the cameras are not just in the immediate area. We didn't venture very far afield, but a little ways off on a couple of the routes coming up from the bottom, uh, those that's cameraed as well. Derek, the question came through is, is uh, this a reprod area, and, and if so, what was the age and the height of the timber? No, it's not a reprod area uh, by any stretch. The age of the timber is, I would say, approximately 45 to 50 years old. There you go. Yeah, there with you a, go. With a good heavy canopy. So it's not an area that uh, has been logged in a long time or uh, people have been in in a long time, which I find Correct. very interesting. Correct. And actually yeah. it was being looked at to be logged pretty soon. That's why the guy was in there in the first place. Well, Derek, what's what's uh you know for the audience what's uh, in the future for the um, you know limb project? Uh, what else is going on? And we're talking about this this, this bedding area, but there's so much go else going on with the limb project that uh, it's not really been shared or has been shared at times. But there's so much more to the limb project than this one project. Well, yeah, there's a lot going on. Uh, the data statistical analysis that Tom Baker is doing is ongoing and he's coming up with some amazing stuff and that's going on all the time tom is adding to it and studying uh, the available data and finding patterns and consistencies with that and so that's one facet of what's going on you have your research that you're working on in your area you and your your group down there your team down there which is i know you guys have a lot going on uh david ellis I will say, I'm not going to say a whole lot because I don't want him upset at me, but he has got some new stuff going on with audio in another location that is some of the best I've heard, and that's very recent. Uh, so there's a lot of audio stuff going on. We are doing camera work in other areas as well, and as a matter of fact, uh, three of us, we got to have a power pretty quick to figure out when we're going back up there. Uh, there's a lot going on, you know, and that, again, you know, in the Facebook world and stuff like that, I think it's I, – I answer this question a lot. It's the only reason I bring it up. But what are you guys doing? How come you guys aren't doing anything, man? i got to tell you, we are doing a lot. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot going on. And uh, as much as all of us can do it on a voluntary basis with time allowed, you know, we, we're all doing as much as we can. But there is a lot going on, a lot of different heads to the to the research. And, and uh, i got to tell you, I am super excited about this year. I know one of my New Year's resolutions is to hit it super, super, super hard this year. I think it's time that uh, I think it's time that the bar gets raised. And what I mean is, 
I, I'm, I'm going to, I know me personally, I'm going to be devoting a whole lot of time this year to Bigfoot research. Uh, I think advancements are right around the corner, and we're going to hit it really hard. Yeah, fantastic. I, I would I would vote for a time of year when the the uh, wasp or hornets are not have not yet been become active. <laughs> There's a great backstory and there. That, <laughs> and, and that's really more for Tom than for anybody else. But <laughs> oh well, as long as we put Tom about fourth or fifth back, the rest of us should be okay. Yeah. Yeah, he's in a track. That, that didn't work. That didn't work either. <laughs> oh man, so, all those hikes. You know, the funny thing is. Me leading, I, I don't think I got stung once. <laughs> no. I got to find some wood to knock on, though. For for folks that are, uh, we went out and did a uh, retrieved the cameras from from one of the research areas for the OP this last spring, and and Tom Baker for some reason was a pin cushion for for uh, hornets, <laughs> and every I mean I think he was stung like thirteen times. Uh, yeah. I managed to escape with uh, a, one sting because I was following Tom too closely, so. But, uh, yeah. yeah, it was like every couple hours, you just hear him start yeah. swearing. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, was, yeah, I think I'd, was, I'd walk over the nest, high. and then I'm not sure who was behind me, but uh, a couple people behind me. And by the time the fourth person got there, they were pissed. And man, yeah, there was a lot of. I think there was what 17 stings that day. Uh, quite a few. Yeah. I, we all seem to take one, but Tom was took a lot for the team. We appreciated that. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I I just can't say enough about the work that that uh, Tom does with the, the data. It, it's uh, I'm a data nerd, and and uh, I've never seen anything like what what's been put together. One of the the big um, objectives with the Olympic project is to create predictability. And yep. uh, a lot of the the data work uh, lens is is what needs to be done to to create that. So um, there were, you know, there's when Tom has done presentations of like I see stuff and I'm like, why the hell is it? You know, then I start wondering why why uh, certain things show up certain ways, and you know, you got to start digging into it, and it's. Uh, it's it's really cool stuff, but very time consuming and uh, uh, very cool. So I kudos to Tom for uh, the work that he does, and I know that he has help with that too. So uh, right, but yeah, Jason Aiken has uh, in this last year or two uh, done a lot, done a lot, and uh, he's not 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 too many people in the research world. I think he's they're starting to know who he is, but. He's helped us out a lot with a lot of stuff, and uh, definitely would like to give a shout out to Jason Aiken. He's uh, he showed up on one of our expeditions, one of our public expeditions, and and uh, what a cool dude, what a cool dude, what a class act that guy is, and he's so so intelligent. But I know he's had his hand in quite a bit of stuff, and and just a, a nice shout out and a thank you to him as well. Yeah, I had the pleasure to meet Jason at uh, Beachfoot this year, so. And we've been working with uh, the Tillamook Forest Group is working with Jason on some some uh, scientific protocol, and the guy is just right. off the charts smart. We've got we've got our own resident genius in in uh, the Tillamook Group with Larry Turner. Yeah, because <laughs> Larry uh, Larry's like a savant, the, the Sasquatch savant. <laughs> so. <laughs> I know you guys you can start talking about this stuff, and it's just like oh, I'm gonna go cook something now. 
<laughs> I can't keep up. I don't even get to try. <laughs> you guys hungry? Yes, I, I, yeah, 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 I highly recommend that if you can ever go big footing with Larry Turner, please, please do so because uh, the food is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Good. What a good group, man. It's just you guys are so much fun to work with, and we got a hopefully real busy, real fun season coming up here. Well, that speaks to collaboration, though. Uh, you know, multiple. You know, one of the things that a lot of people argue about is collaboration, and the Aluminum Project uh, specifically has collaborated with so many individuals and groups. It's 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 ridiculous because uh, we're <clears throat> the the project in general is not uh, so close-minded not to share stuff. You know, but they're, they are selective as to who they collaborate with. I mean, if you're serious about the subject and have some stuff going on in certain areas, I mean, collaboration is key. That's what yeah. uh, propels the subject is collaboration because just because you have something going on in one area doesn't mean something else is not going on in another area. Uh, getting from point A to point B, collaboration is 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 so important. And I know that... I, I believe this wholeheartedly is that the Lim Project leads this with collaboration. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's it's nice to share information. It really is. I got this last year. I've got the honor of uh, doing some consulting with Les Stroud for a couple of his shows, and right. and just sharing information with him uh, and being able to draw on what Tom's done and what you guys have done and what David's done, so I could you know. Uh, consult with Les and tell him, okay, well, we've learned this and we've learned this and we think this. And and it was just, if it wouldn't have been for, you know, all the collaboration from everybody involved, you know, it wouldn't have been able to help him out, you know, or to help anybody out. And it's, you're right, man, collaboration is, that's how things learn, that's how things are learned, you know. And, and we've been very fortunate to have, like, negative zero drama. And it's really cool. It's really cool, and again, that's probably one of the reasons we just, you know, try to keep it off Facebook as much as we can. And but just, just a great group of people, man. I feel very, very lucky to work with you guys, and it, it's a, it's a team effort. It's a lot of fun. Well, that feeling is very mutual. I mean, it's the the uh, the process was for those that don't know. I mean, I attended an expedition and packed several of the members of our Tillamook group. Um, attended an expedition and then were invited to become part of the, the Olympic project. I knew because uh, my good friend Larry Turner is an audio uh, nut and that he is uh, obsessed with processing audio data. And uh, I knew when, when I met Larry, I knew that he was going to have to meet David Ellis at some point. Because right. and, and as soon as yeah, they're birds of a feather, and they went off, and, and uh, um, ever since then, uh, David has been a huge help to the Tilma crew. Um, and and if anybody who's ever listened to the show will know that my my mantra is uh, collaboration, not competition. Got the T-shirt and the bumper sticker, and uh, you bet the Til- and uh, the Olympic project represents that in a in a huge way. And and the collaboration for just really is important to you know all these individual groups that if we were just working by ourselves we would not have any we would not be near as far along as we 
had, did not have an association with the Olympic project because we share data and and uh, bounce things off each other, and uh, it's it's a huge huge asset to to be working with the Olympic project and and other groups that we do. So uh, and likewise, you guys are you guys are quite a group, man. You <laughs> you're, you got a lot of smart people going on down there in Tillamook. Well, I, I appreciate that. We, you know, we're lucky to have, like you said, like Larry and and Cindy and Barb and and uh, of course Shane. Uh, mm-hmm. But and and we have a and has, it just is a great collaborative effort. So, Shane, are you still with us? I'm still with us. Uh, yeah, okay. I'm still here. Uh, just, you know, no, I'm. Uh, the show has been fascinating, uh, and I hope the audience realizes that, you know, the efforts put forth by the Olympic Project are honest and uh, very transparent. And the fact that even with the findings found and, and stuff discovered, that um, nobody's claiming anything other than they are interesting findings, uh, that we're not claiming that everything is Sasquatch. We're about getting to the bottom of it. And I know Derek... Uh, you know, Der- here Derek Randall's is all about that, and we are about getting to the truth. And you know, whatever that leads us to, maybe this nesting area, this this bedding area, will be something known, even though um, those involved say otherwise. Uh, you know, feel otherwise. It's, anyway. Yeah, it's just that interesting, and there's many other things going on. But the thing is, the people involved with this stuff. And the people involved in the Limb Project, Tillamook Forest Group, whatever, are interested in the facts and getting to the bottom of of that. So uh, I just say, you know, hey, listen and 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 learn and, and teach us as well because we're very open-minded and we want to hear from everybody. Uh, there's no easy answer to any of this, obviously, because this has been going on for many many years with the 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 research of the subject. But I I do I do want to say that uh, 2016 is going to be a very unique year. It's going to be a very fun year. It's going to be a year where um, a lot of us have put are, are going to put in a lot of time into the subject. And uh, stay tuned uh, for uh, future follow-up with, with the, the bedding area and other things. So it's, it's just an exciting year. Um, you know, stay involved. Stay interactive and uh, do your due diligence with with the work involved, and uh, you know, have fun at it. Period. Yeah, it, it, I, I can tell you, I'm extremely motivated. I'm more motivated now than I have been in quite a while. Uh, yeah, been given a lot of thought, and just the way I look at it is, there's enough of us now. You know, when we've got some some sites, some spots that are pretty compelling. You know, it's. We got to do it justice. We got to hit it hard this year. We got to hit it really hard. And yeah, I just that's that's one of the reasons. Like last year, I think May, either May or June was our last public expedition that we've done because we just decided that we wanted to spend more time in-house researching. I mean, the expeditions were fantastic. They were kind of uh, learning trips for people, and and uh, we all enjoyed them. But now, I mean, I'm I'm at the point now where it's like. If we have, you know, that any spare time, we want to be out working our core areas and and 
trying to advance on these areas. And so, you know, I, I, I get asked a lot, you know, when are you guys doing more expeditions? When are you going to do more expeditions? And I, I'm not sure that we are. You know, we're going to, again, we're going to have to all sit down and, and roundtable on this to see if we're going to do any more or one or two this year or we're not going to do them at all. But, hey, uh, my phone is dying. i got to call you back on another phone. Okay, well, we'll talk amongst ourselves for a couple minutes or a minute here, so. Okay, I'll call you. It's just only take me about a minute. Okay, we'll be here. Okay. So, I mean, that, to me, this is one of the more, when I heard about this, this uh, this site was like, and I remember when uh, we were not every. There's a process through the even through the Olympic project that that they vet things before they even share it with the entire the entire group, um, which I appreciate. I mean, it's it's right. uh, you know that it's not everything. Not everything's Bigfoot, and I've been around enough people that oh, that everything is Bigfoot that just drives me nuts and. For me, it's a it's a breath of fresh air to be involved with them, with a group that that uh, vets information um, like the Olympic Project, uh, like we do in the Tilma group. So and and our association. Yeah. Oh, I think Derek is back now. Hold on, just a second. Derek, welcome back. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Sorry about that technical difficulties no here problem. at Randall's residence. <laughs> <laughs> So where were we? Let's see, where were uh, well, we? Basically, well, you know, we're down to our last couple of minutes of the show, but Derek, uh, you know, we talked about the the future progress of, of not just the limb project, but the Bigfoot world or Bigfoot field in general. I mean, what do you see coming down the road, down the pike here? Uh, I mean, is this, you know, what, do you see the same old, same old, or, or are we uh, getting somewhere with this, this field? Well, I think that we're getting somewhere. I think that there's a lot of good researchers out there. Uh, with the, you know, I, I'm not sure how how I feel about drones, uh, or how effective they're going to be. But with the the influx of all the new thermal imagery happening, and everybody, you know, a lot of researchers getting these tools in their hands, I think it's a matter of time before some really good footage is going to happen. Uh, there's, you know, and then you know the, the different projects that have the game cameras in place. I think every day or at least, you know, every season we learn a little more uh, working towards predictability. I, you know, I've, I've said it before and been wrong, but it just feels like we're kind of on the cusp of something here. There are yeah. some people, there's some really good people doing this, and I think that uh, science has taken a little bit better look, maybe just, uh, you know, baby steps, but maybe looking at things a little more seriously. Uh, it would be really nice to see the drama subside. And all the classroom crap <laughs> going on, you know, it'd be That's nice not to. Happen. <laughs> yeah, it's not, and it's unfortunate because oh, yeah. it has nothing to do with research. <laughs> right. That, yeah, and that, you know, that, that part's frustrating. Uh, yeah. Yep. But there are a lot of good people out there doing this for the right reasons that are doing the, their due diligence and doing things correctly and trying to learn. And uh, again, technology is advancing. Uh, Hopefully we get it done or get it figured out before they're gone, you know. And, and right. But it just, I think with the technology that's out right now and the will, there's a lot of people with a lot of will to get this done. I think it's, next couple of years could be pretty interesting. And I have said that before. <laughs> but yeah. It just, it just feels that way, even with us, you know, with our two groups. And 
I think that we're, I'm not going to say getting close, but I think that we're, I think we're learning. I really do. And I think that it wouldn't surprise me if something pretty big happens in the next year or two. It wouldn't yeah. surprise me at all. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm on board with you there. I think something big is going to happen. You know, it's just my gut feeling, and I could be totally wrong, way off base. But I think with uh, the amount of collaboration, uh, the amount of people involved that are really wholeheartedly involved in this, that are honest individuals, uh, both with academia and those just enthusiastic about the subject matter, uh, I think we're getting somewhere, and I think we're going to get somewhere. Uh, mm-hmm. And it will be uh, shown down the road here in the near future. That's just my, my personal gut feeling, and um, it's what drives me. It's what I find exciting, and if nothing else, uh, I know that those that I work with and those involved in the subject matter that I collaborate with are going about it the right way. And to me, that is um, just you know just that much better. It makes it makes it makes this fun, and that's what this is about for me is is having fun. You know, I want my daughter. We talked about the beginning of the show who was hiking out with me. I want my daughter to to go out and enjoy nature in general and uh, look at her dad and go, hey, you know, you're doing something cool. Uh, I may or may disagree with you, but uh, you're doing something fun, and I believe in you and enjoying what you do. You know, I, I want everybody out there that, that is involved with this subject or just involved with going hiking to enjoy it. Uh mm-hmm. You know, that's what it, it bottoms out to. Uh, attacking people and getting involved in all the drama, nah, boring, and gets you nowhere. Let's just enjoy the subject matter, and hopefully down the road here, I think it's going to be a big year, I really do, for this subject. Well, but, you keyed uh, on something there, Shane, somewhere. big time. Uh, yeah. It is, you know, none of us get paid to do this. The reason, The reason that this is exciting is because it's fun. You guys make it fun. You know, I think all of us together, we have a blast. We really do. And that's, you're not going to get, you know, and, and odds are, you know, we, we may never find, figure out the Bigfoot phenomenon. But we are going to have a lot of fun. And we have had a lot of fun. We're going to continue yes. to do so and continue to learn. And the minute I'm done having fun, I'm done. You know, it's, yeah. you got to have fun doing this. you got to enjoy the people you're doing it around or it ain't worth it. Right. Yeah, and that's the truth, is nobody's getting paid to do this. This is out of our pocket, or out of everybody's pocket, whoever's involved with the subject. And uh, the least you can do is enjoy those that you work with and enjoy the surroundings and theirs you go to. And uh, if you get some stuff, awesome. But don't uh, don't go into this uh, for other, um, you know, ill-mattered matters. I mean, just enjoy it. Have fun. And and, and, uh, and don't ever take yourself too seriously. <laughs> damn right. Yeah, that's you know, the truth. Half the world, the more truth. than half the world, thinks we're nuts anyways. So yeah, you that's, just that's you can't take point. can't take things too seriously. You got to keep it in perspective. Yeah. We are down to a minute, guys. So um, I'm going to wrap this up, Eric. I want to say thanks again, buddy, for for joining us tonight. Great show, great information, exciting. I look forward to uh, look hearing more about what comes out of the 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 site, the ongoing investigation, and uh, Shane, I always always enjoy your company, my friend. Uh, remember, folks, we are on every Sunday at uh, 4 p.m. Pacific, 
and we will be back next week with another great episode of Monster X Radio. Until then, um, go out and and uh, do something productive. Get out in the woods. Look for Squatch. Um, enjoy yourself. Thanks, everybody. Hey, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. You bet.